0: You're listening to Irish Radio Canada's Home and Abroad, and March has turned into what is um, something very unusual for an ethnic community in Canada, insofar as has been designated Irish Heritage Month. And this would be the first real Irish Heritage Month post-COVID, uh, which allows for people to get together, a lot more activities to happen, uh, ministerial visits, a lot of things. I have Ambassador Emma McKee, the Irish Ambassador to Canada, here with me. Ambassador, first of all, thanks a million for taking the time to come along. Uh, I know you've been very busy up to now. So if you want to take a little bit of time to share what you've been doing and then tell us what's in the pipeline for uh, March. It'll be fantastic.
1: Yeah. Hi, Austin. And hi to all your listeners. Great. Great to be here yeah i I you know what's been interesting about I think the pandemic is that it has forced us into and did force us into different ways of communicating uh, and generating kind of content through online uh online panel discussions and presentations. So you know the embassy has a has a YouTube channel it's, we've got podcasting, we're doing blogging and and tweeting and so on. so that was great. We've done online receptions, for example, for St. Patrick's Day. And then last year, myself and James Maloney MP uh, co-hosted an online event on the 1st of March to launch Irish Heritage Month. So that's all in the mix. It's not all going away. It's not all going to evaporate just because we're back to normal, as it were. I think there there are great ways of outreaching people that you wouldn't normally uh, be able to get to. uh, And it's also a great way of putting content online that's retrievable. You know, that, that people, if they want to look into their Irish heritage and or, or see what's going on, they they can do that now by by just simple searches. And I think that's great. What it has prompted it as, as well is, and, and this is true of Irish Heritage Month, but also just kind of being here, um, is exploring the story of the Irish in Canada. Um and, and, in fact, one of the attractions for Canada for me was that we – I didn't know much about it. Uh, and then I discovered that actually not many people – Knew about it anyway, who either either in Canada or in Ireland. So that's really been fascinating. And so, I started this project called Fifty Irish Lives in Canada, and uh, it was inspired by uh, a book by the Royal Irish Academy called Irish Lives in America. And uh, very quickly, I mean, literally within days, I assembled uh, some of the best historians of the Irish in Canada. And the idea was that we would we would start writing one thousand word profiles of people who. Made an impact here, or lived a life emblematic of the of the immigrant experience, um, because you know you can you can talk about leaders making an impact, but in fact, it's the rank and file, it's the ordinary people who who really make the impact, who create a country. You know, so we we wanted to make sure that we had all ranks of society kind of represented, uh, as wide a geographic spread. The challenge was always going to be gender balance. Um, because women are either written out of history or anonymized and that's a process of retrieval that's, that's going to have to go on because we're not going to reach any kind of gender balance because of that um and so we're we we're, we're getting we're getting towards upwards of 30 now and the historians have been great and I've written a few but what's really been uh, revelatory is the, the the degree to which the irish have influenced canada um and it and it goes back 300 years um, and is incredibly extensive. So much so that I've I've come to the conclusion that you, you have to reframe the story of Ireland and Canada um, such that it's not an immigration story. If you just think about it as, as immigration, it doesn't tell you everything. You have to reframe the story as a colonial story. This is a, a, a really complex transatlantic process of one colony connecting with and helping create another one uh, within this Anglo-Imperial sphere um, because only then can you explain why Anglo-Irish aristocrats were so influential in the colonial period in the 1760s, 1770s, 1780s. Um, you know, you've got guys like Guy Carleton from Strabane, the man who saved Quebec, his brother Thomas, who saved him during the siege of Quebec, but you know, was first lieutenant governor in New Brunswick. John Parr from Dublin, lieutenant governor of Nova Scotia, the first one and um, one of the first. And Richard Buckley, forgotten character, but at the time of his death in 1800 was the man who who found us, who was the father, founding father of Nova Scotia. Walter Patterson, who was lieutenant governor of what became Prince Edward Island and and convinced his assembly to call to call Prince Edward Island New Ireland until he was contradicted by London. You know, these characters. Nor can you explain, for example, you know, 10,000 tenants forcibly relocated from the Colatna State in Wicklow in the 1840s and 1850s um, that by one estimate created 410,000 descendants in 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 canada you know this is not immigration um the the famine immigrants who are coming over in 1847 that's not immigration there certainly was a lot of immigration uh of, of protestant farmers as well um there's a lot there was a settlement of 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 irish who served in the british army uh wellington for example had most of his soldiers were Irish, and he wanted them to settle here. So you have to reconceive all of this story as being a really complicated one. Um, you know, and warts and all. Uh, Nicholas Flood Davin, very interesting character. He's a home ruler. He supports the suffragette movement. He actually writes a book called The Irishman in Canada, because uh, published in 1877, because he's, he's outraged at, at, at the fact that everybody thinks that Canada was created by the Scots and the English. And he says there's more Irish in, in Ontario than, than, than there are either of them. Um, but he's also the guy that writes the report on the Indian residential school system and recommends setting it up, you know. So it's been a really fascinating process. We're going to start releasing these profiles um, oh, during March. Uh, I think people will find it a, a revelation. Um, when I talk to people, I say, do you, when you look at the Canadian flag, do you think of Ireland? And they say no. And I say, well, you know, Patrick Reid was the guy who led the team that created the flag. You know um and on and on it goes it's 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 going to be really re- revealing, and when we have our fifty then we'll we're hoping to publish it as, as a book then and and it'll really give people an insight into the complexity of the Irish engagement in Canada. because what you're what you're getting here in Canada is all different types of Irish nationalism and Irish national identity I mean when you talk about the anglo irish uh characters like buckley and and parr and, and carlton and and wellington um uh i should say wellington of course wasn't in canada but he created ottawa by funding the Rideau canal and so on but when you look at these guys they're anglo-irish but they're in ireland for a couple of hundred years they're coming in in the 1500s and the 1600s you know by any measure um and they keep coming you know the the three governor generals Um, before, during, and after Confederation has really helped bed down the new Confederation and its relationship with London. Those three, Monk, Lisgar, and and Dufferin, were all Anglo-Irish, you know, huge influence. It was an Irish monk. Monk, for example, born in Tipperary, educated at Trinity. He became, he was a huge supporter of Confederation. So he was the last governor general of of pre-Confederation Canada, and he was the first one during it. Um But he comes to what was then Bytown and purchases Rideau Hall as the official residence. You know, Uh Dufferin, when he takes over himself and his wife, hugely popular couple. Uh Not only do they save the walls of Quebec City from destruction, but they expand Rideau Hall, building the ballroom, the tent room and this and the, the skating rink and the curling rink
0: to make it accessible to the public. Again, kind of forgotten about stories that are forgotten about, you know. So, Ambassador, I hate to put it to you this way, but you're, you're, what, two and a half years into your term, Yeah. which means you have about 18 months left. (laughs) So you have the gun to your head to get this project done. Yes. Yes, we do.
1: Yeah, but we'll get it done. I mean, because of the enthusiasm of the historians and the contributors and and amateur historians like uh, Michael McBain locally here. In Ottawa, who who told me that there was a common grave of famine immigrants right in the heart of Ottawa, 300 bodies, and people have forgotten about it. He's been terrific. Uh, Nick McCarthy up in Beechwood Cemetery, great guy. So we've got great supporters, um, and that's not the only project. The other thing we're launching uh, for for, Mar- for March of 2024, we've started a bytown Ottawa Irish heritage trail. And we've put together, uh, we've only begun, but we've already upwards of 30, 30 sites in Ottawa and the area uh, directly linked to the Irish influence because, you know, Ottawa is basically an Irish town. And we've forgotten that. And and, and the Ottawa Valley was, was very heavily populated by the Irish. Um, and yeah, there was a bit of a struggle going on with the French at the beginning. But again, it's incredibly rich Irish heritage around here. So my hope is that, we will launch this uh, for next year because we do need to do a bit more research. But I would like to see the heritage trail stretch across Canada because the, the Irish in Canada, because they've been coming for 300 years and the, the settlement pattern is well established by 1847. In fact, 1847 is the end, really, of, of mass immigration. Everybody after that goes to America. There's a, there's The Irish are rurally based. They're all over the place. They preserve their Irish heritage individually. There's thousands of communities, but they're not really joined up. And so you've got these individual historians and groups telling their local stories by creating a heritage trail and uploading these stories we will begin to show the patterns and the massive influence that the Irish have had. You know, um, going back, like I say, the first the first guy we found that we know about, and he's not the first Irish guy in in Canada, but he's the first one that's registered in the papers, was Ty Go Brennan who arrives in Quebec in 1661. And again, a fascinating story because the O'Brennans were forced off their land in um, Castle Comer, Kilkenny, in the 13th century by the Normans and lived in the mountains. And then Cromwell kind of exiled him. And he goes to France and then uh, presumably learns French there and comes to Quebec. You know, So we've been coming here for an awful long time. So, yeah, but it, listen, this work, will, will we're working with the Canada-Ireland Foundation. Robert Kearns has been doing a brilliant job over the years carrying this torch. So we're working with them so that these projects continue because, you know, they're launched, but there's an awful lot more to add, you know. I have to say it's also, I think it's important because the variations of Irishness that you see in Canadian history reminds us of the complexity of the Irish story we were very heavily involved in the empire, you know, 30 um, percent of the British army and navy during the whole of the 19th century were Irish, you know. So we have a very complex history um, and we can see that reflected in Canada. So that's why
0: it's a really fascinating story, you know. So uh, what's on the schedule for uh, for March aside from you? Going coast to coast, sea to sea <laughs>
1: to sea. <laughs> uh, well, we've got. Thankfully, we've got. Uh, we've got ministers coming in, which is great. We've three ministers coming in. Um, the decision was made earlier this week on our on our St Patrick's Day travel. So we have, and we do have a bit of catching up on. There's no, there's no gainsaying the fact that the pandemic did a lot of uh, did a lot of harm as well. I mean, we compensated with the virtual stuff, but not having the not having the the, the contact, the outreach to people organizations found you know had to keep going um and, and have had to revive their their activities and so on so we have uh, the minister for finance uh, Michael mcgrath who's coming into toronto for the 9th of march which is great because the event is a commissioned piece of music by the canada ireland foundation and robert kearns called bound for canada um, a story a, st- a story of hardship from hardship to hope the beautiful new orchestral piece, and it'll be premiered on the 9th of March. So that'll be a fantastic event. And then we have the Minister for Health, um, Michael Donnelly, coming in to to uh, to the to Ottawa, Toronto, and very possibly, we hope, Montreal, but we have to nail down the logistics. And we have the Minister for Higher and Further Education, Research, Innovation, and Science coming to Vancouver, uh, Simon Harris. So that that's great. And, you know, it just begins the process of reviving uh, these kind of contacts and, and the, the energy that's kind of building in the, in the Ireland Canadian relationship. So yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be like, uh, it'll be like my first proper St. Patrick's Day, uh, as opposed to virtual. And we'll be doing our own, uh, we'll be doing our own reception here in Ottawa as well. And we'll be doing it probably on the day itself. So that'll be, that'll be good, you know. And, uh, we've, we're, we're getting glass, we're getting pine glasses made with the Irish harp and embassy Ottawa. So I think we'll probably lose a few of those (laughs) as souvenirs (laughs) during the day, but anyway, they're welcome to them. So yeah, it's going to be good. Yeah, we're going to have fun. Well, we
0: had we were talking with Robert Kearns and Sheila Flanagan last week about the concert that's coming up and getting all the details on that. Um, So very much an event that's not to be missed. And uh, yes, those tro- they will be trophies. They're not glasses. They're trophies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, that, uh, so, but, but
1: we even uh, we commissioned our own beer, and we have we have beer cans <laughs> with St. Bridget's brew on it. So St. Bridget's will be well represented. So it'll be a it'll be a nicely balanced event as well. So we'll have St. Patrick and St. Bridget together, at least in spirit. Fantastic. Unquote.
0: And I know there's a lot of activities going on, and I'll be sharing some of those as well during yeah. the month as to keep it current. But oh, yeah, we've uh, got
1: parades, and we've got flag raising, and the Irish societies are able to come out again in full force, which is fantastic, you know. Indeed, and right yeah. across the
0: country, because today we're going to sh- uh, get uh, uh, an update from uh, the Council General in Toronto and Vancouver, Great. as well as from James Maloney, so as that we can share what's going on across the country on this, the first, as I say, the first Heritage Month. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out across the country as say post-COVID in particular. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think people are very keen to get to get out and about, you know, because even last year we did the parade in, in Toronto, but it, the, the notice was so short. But the, the organizers did a fantastic job, uh, Sean and people like that down there. And uh, so, yeah, this is the first one where it's, it's kind of, quote unquote, normal, normal, you know, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Where you can actually probably kind of go up and hug somebody.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, because uh, well, we did, we did, we did that in Toronto last year, and we came back with COVID, but it was worth the price. It was worth it.
0: Uh, so uh, what we should do is after March, because uh, maybe later in the mid year or something catch up again, because I yeah. know Mar- March in itself is such a block, and it is a powerful testament to what you just said about the influence of the Irish on Canada and the shaping of Canada. The mm-hmm. Canada has actually recognized the Irish contribution by having a month. Yeah. That designated yeah. as a heritage month.
1: No, exactly. And you know it's it's Mar- there is that focus in March but we uh, in November we did Irish Night on the Hill mm-hmm. which was begun by James Maloney and and Jim Kelly Godreston and they did I think two of them uh, before COVID intervened, but they were hugely successful, so we kind of we revived it last november and we uh i walked in and we were in the james a mcdon uh, the john a mcdonald brother uh hall which was absolutely enormous i mean just, it looks like central park i uh, grand central Station in new york I said, we're never going to fill this thing. It's going to be embarrassing, and then within half an hour we had four over four hundred between four and five hundred people there mm-hmm. um and it was an amazing event. We had great Irish dancers and music and crack, and uh that was November you mm-hmm. know, and so we'll probably do with that again next year because it really is a great event and um, We had a lot of uh politicians and staffers. the new mayor of Ottawa Mark Sutcliffe came, and I gave him another earful about the heritage of ottawa and uh you know, but yeah, so it's it's um it's just there's tremendous passion and energy around it, you know, and I think it's because for so for so much, so for so much of the 300 years being Irish in Canada was something that you kind of kept in the background because you were in basically what was an imperial royal anglophone Protestant society and so on, whereas now there's a huge sense of of pride, you know, uh, and of of uh, acknowledging. The extent of the Irish contribution here you know and and I make the point as well that Ireland was the future the Canada rather was the future Ireland never had you know that actually we wanted to be the kind of Canada and then historical events took us in another direction you know so there's a deep deep connection I think between Ireland and Canada and our respective nar- narratives which is really exciting to explore.
0: I imagine Ambassador the best place to get links to all the different projects you're working on would be through the embassy website
1: yeah, embassy website. We also put them on on Twitter, and I put put my the stuff I've been writing on on my blog as well, so you can you can get that. Like uh, I did a blog a blog on uh, Wellington and his role in creating in creating uh, Ottawa, for example. Yeah, you know, Wellington's a hugely influential figure here. Born in Dublin, raised in Trim. I mean, he famously said, you know, about his birth in Ireland. Well, just because you're born in a stable doesn't mean you're a horse, and that that I think is exaggerated because he was a lifelong member of his lodge in trim and 70% of his soldiers in the peninsular war were irish um he was very he was very fond of of of, of his irish soldiers and of his irish background and very proud of that and don't forget wellington wellington's people had come to ireland as uh you know in the 15 late 1500s and they were they were they were cowlies and then they were collies and then it was only his grandfather changed the name to 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 Wesley, and then eventually Wellesley. So you know, very deep roots in Ireland. This is mm-hmm. he's not a fly by night character, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Um
1: But he shapes modern modern Canada, you know. Um And again, kind of a story that's forgotten about. You know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, as you could tell, I could go on and on and I know, on. Yeah, All I kinds <laughs> of rabbit rabbit holes so stop me.
0: <laughs> okay, Ambassador, we need to because we need to make time for the Consul Generals and for James Maloney. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so- So, I want to thank you for taking the time. It's been fantastic catching up. Always a pleasure, Austin. And uh, we'll be
1: back in touch. Go, Margot.